0: This is Including You, the new series from LEAD at any level. Including You features stories from chief diversity officers and other executives who are creating inclusive cultures in their organizations. Our goal is to show what's working in companies just like yours, to give you the tools you need to keep pushing for progress in your own workplace. We want to create belonging and opportunity for everyone, including you. And now here's your host, Amy C. Waninger.
1: Welcome back to Including You. I'm your host, Amy C. Waninger, the Inclusion Catalyst. My guest today is Danielle Gray with the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. The Cook County State's Attorney's Office has over 1,200 employees in Cook County, Illinois, and is the second largest prosecutor's office in the United States. Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am excited to talk to you. I don't think I've ever talked to anyone on the show from a prosecutor's office or from the law enforcement side um, of government. I'm really curious in the work that you do, why is inclusion so important, such an important focus of this work?
2: I think because we're prosecutors, it's very important. People generally know what prosecutors do, right? We are involved in the criminal justice system and we make decisions on whether or not, or part of a process of making decisions on whether or not people lose their freedom. Um, And it's very important when you're in a position where you have that kind of decision-making power. You play a role in such a powerful process, you have to have inclusion, you have to have equity. It, It has to infuse what you do.
1: And I would imagine there's a lot of discretion that prosecutors have in can you talk a little bit about how that discretion comes into play and how if there's not a focus on inclusion, it might create some unfair disparities?
2: I'll do a little caveat. I'm, I am an attorney and I'm an ASA, but I don't practice in the courtroom in terms of being a criminal prosecutor. But generally speaking, um, there can be discretion on whether or not you pursue the harshest charge. There can be discretion on whether or not you're open to some plea bargaining. And that depends on the person you're dealing with. It depends on their background. It depends on the nature of the crime that they are accused of. It goes into a lot of factors in making some decision on whether or not this is a person who I should push for incarceration, or this is a person who is like, maybe they're better served by referral to drug court. Maybe they're better served by community service because of the nature of the the crime and the reasons why they got involved in the situation. There's some discretion there on on how you can have an impact on whether this person is tracked into incarceration or maybe tracked into treatment or services. And those kinds of decisions can have lifelong impacts on the people that you're working with. Exactly. Let's take, for example, let's take an example of a person who engaged in an act and it's determined that they engaged in an act largely because of of a drug addiction. Depending on their background, depending on a lot of factors, you might decide that person could be better served as a person who really needs treatment. In other words, it's not that they are a quote unquote criminal, Is that in the throes of this addiction, they engaged in behavior. And that if you treat the underlying issue, this is a person who does not have to have continued involvement in the system. And so if you approach it from that perspective as more of a, a problem solving and, and looking at the foundations for why the behavior um, occurred, that's a person who, for example, if the treatment is successful, that's someone who doesn't become a repeat offender. That's someone who is no longer negatively impacting their community. So they've gotten the help that they need. You have actually helped to improve the safety of your community and you've made it so that person can remain a real participant in society. You haven't alienated them
1: from society because they have an illness. So talk a little bit about your role within the prosecutor's office. How do you fit into the work overall that the prosecutor's office
2: does. So it's interesting. I came to the office first as an equal employment opportunity officer. I'm an attorney. I've been an attorney for 24 years and I've been a litigator and I've been an in-house counsel. And so I first came into the office as an EEO officer. And I would say at that point, I began laying some of the groundwork for moving into the BEI field um, within the office, primarily by working on policies and practices to create a workspace that was more inclusive in terms of say for example if you're in a space where you talk about we want to have diversity and we want to have diverse people but you still have people within the space who are alienating people who are engaging in exclusionary behavior towards the people within the office which is a huge issue you're in the space but you're not treated as if you actually belong in the space to have processes to actually help look into those issues and remove those types of barriers to inclusion, I would say is part of where I started with as an EEO officer. And I'm not the very first DEI officer as well. So when uh, State's Attorney Fox took office, she's the one who actually implemented the role of a DEI officer in the space. She implemented um, ERGs in the space. She started the whole framework of building DEI into the culture in about 2016, before I even arrived at the office in 2018. So there was a person before, two people before me. And I had done a lot in the EEO space and the DEI space was open. And I thought this would be a great way to just add even more depth to the culture of the office to help impact and support the employees in the office and also tie into how we continue to impact our community. How DEI fits into the space, I think number one is building that culture of inclusion in terms of our employees, making sure that we're creating a space where we have, are not only recruiting uh, diverse people, we're not only recruiting, and <clears throat> when I talk about diversity, I'm talking about the whole swath of diversity, not just race, but across the definitions of diversity, but also making sure that we are making way for people to move up into leadership positions. Internally, that's a huge focus, recruitment, retention, but also elevation, making sure that diverse people are up in leadership positions. And I think for DEI work, and we talk about equity States Attorney Fox came into the office from an external perspective, how we implement equity in the community. I think she came in to the office with a, a mindset of equity already in terms of how she wanted to set policy and run the office. So, you know, if you have an external actor who was who knows that equity is important to our external communities and the communities that we interact with, I think it's only reasonable that internally, we also need to have that same reflection as DEI work becomes critical in terms of being consistent and balancing out the work that we're doing externally as well.
1: What are some of the initiatives that you have adopted or implemented or even inherited that you feel like are really moving the needle for either the culture or the community outreach or the community relations aspects of your work?
2: Yes, from my perspective, I think The ERGs have been huge, the employee resource groups. I know in some spaces in the private sector, that seems like not a big deal. But in the prosecutor space, I believe this is the first time we've ever had that type uh, of organization within at least our prosecutor's office. And to me, it has really been instrumental in helping to, first of all, create a space for diverse employees to engage, to... I think, come together around issues that impact them specifically as diverse ASAs. But even more than that, it actually helps us to identify future leaders. Uh, it helps them to engage in leadership activity. which feeds directly into our goal of making sure that we're doing a better job of identifying uh, diverse people to move upwards into the office and move into leadership positions. And I think from public policy and from a government perspective is really important to make sure that you have equity flowing throughout all levels of the organization. Because it's one thing to say, yes, we have diverse ASA, and we've always had diverse ASAs. There's always been diverse prosecutors, but there's the next step and the next level is really having that diversity present in those upper offices where you have decision-making, where you have policy setting, Um, getting people in line, maybe to be the next A6 turning. We want to go ahead and make sure um, we're creating that space for that growth and development of leadership. From my perspective, that's what I am coming into and continuing to build on that.
1: And what results are you seeing as a result of all of the ERG work that you're doing and the, this visibility, extra visibility of folks who maybe have been overlooked in the past or maybe haven't had trouble being seen in the past?
2: I can tell you actually, it is we are seeing people who may not have previously been spotted for leadership. They are moving into leadership positions. They are moving into supervisory positions. Actually interesting. I recently went to a conference, our AAPI group, Asian American Pacific Islander Group, ERG, they were putting on a leadership conference in Chicago. And one of our ASAs, who's also an ERG leader, he talked about his his pursuit of a leadership role, a supervisory role in the organization. And I know for a fact that he was able to move into a spot, a supervisory spot, because there was some, I'll put, there was some necessary movement and realignment in a certain space. And because he was working in a, he was working in the ERG and he was identified, he was able to be more visible. He was able, I think, not only to advocate for himself to be moved up in the spot, but to actually be identified by other people within the organization who said, hey, you need to go out for this spot. You need to, you need to submit an application. You need to compete for this spot. And he's now in a supervisory position. And just from the numbers I looked at, and I tried to look at some of our, our numbers and just my own anecdotal visual. I think that this administration has really done a great job of actually elevating diverse people into leadership positions. I think you can see visually that is a diverse leadership within the organization and throughout all levels, at the top levels, throughout our supervisory levels, it is a very diverse diverse leadership throughout the organization. I think that's a huge, I think that's a huge shift, and I think that's really important for new ASAs coming in to see that diverse people are moving into leadership positions, that we actually do care about trying to make sure we are identifying people to move into positions for which they are qualified. And you come into the space as a person, you know what, I can actually grow a career here. I won't just stay at a level. I can actually move up in this space. I think that's hugely uh, important. That's something that I've seen In this administration, and I hope it'll continue on and continue to be the new
1: pattern in the organization. I think that is so important because people have a hard time either as job candidates or as new employees or even as early, I would say, low tenure but mid career employees, folks that maybe transferred in from somewhere else, came from a different place and started working. They look around and they say, Can I be successful here or not? And one of the first places they look to see that is the org chart. And I would imagine that once you've gotten a handle on equitable advancement, the retention and the attraction of talent becomes a lot easier because people feel like they're going to be given a fair shake. Yes. Yes.
2: And I think that's also the other area that's of my interest and focus is retention. We're coming out of a pandemic. Um, In a lot of spaces, a lot of public spaces, prosecutor's offices, and employers across country were impacted by COVID or impacted by employees making decisions about their lives and and sometimes leaving spaces and going to new spaces. But at minimum, what I want to make sure is you can't always control people's employment decisions, especially with lawyers. We have over half of our staff is, is attorneys and attorneys go in all different directions sometimes. But What I want to do as a DEI officer is make sure that people are not leaving this space because of the culture, that they're not leaving the space because they don't see any way for them to move up in the space, that we're not the ones pushing them away. If a person is leaving because a private firm has poached them because um, we produce some great litigators, um, they poached them and, and they're offering them a lot of money. Um, which is one of the other limitations of government. We can't always pay people lots and lots of money in the legal industry. Um, Some things we can't control, um, but we can control our culture. We can control the perception uh, of possibility with our our culture. And I think that's where I want to look at and make sure that we are making sure that we demonstrate that we have our culture of possibility, that you can move up, that you can have uh, leadership Uh, take a leadership role in the the organization and have decision-making impact in the organization.
1: And I would think when folks leave under circumstances like you're describing, right, where they felt like there was a lot of opportunity for them where they were, but then they got basically something that they could, an offer they couldn't refuse somewhere else, I would imagine that that goodwill of them telling someone else, tapping someone else on the shoulder from their community, from their alma mater, from their, maybe even their family or the people that they know might say, look, go check this out because I know there's going to be an open position, but this might be a really good place for you in your career. Yeah. I was going to say,
2: yeah, I I hope I didn't cut you off. Um, But yeah, word of mouth and especially in the legal industry, like I, and I speak a lot from, because I've been in the legal industry for 20 something years. um, It's a lot of word of mouth. I spoke to an attorney years ago, and she said she got her first job through a traditional application and all the other jobs was basically through word of mouth. And we do have an application process and and things like that. But in terms of drawing people's interest to the organization and looking to see if there's anything there that I want to apply for, word of mouth is is hugely important. When people hear that, I'm just leaving because this place is going to pay me $50,000 more. Um, but it's a great culture. It's still a great place to to work. You get to do great work. You get to work with great people and there's real possibility in the space. That is important to leave that impression on anyone who's leaving because they do. They go and they talk to their colleagues. They talk to people coming out of law schools and they definitely let them know what their experience was like in the office. And so we definitely want to make sure at minimum, if you have to leave, because we can't pay you $190,000 like the firm, at least we're leaving you with a good feeling and a good reputation that you'll take with you and maybe encourage the next person to come and
1: apply. That makes such a big difference because people do talk and they especially talk to other people who are like them in their communities and their families and their schools. And I also wanna go back to something you said about the gentleman who, because he was involved in the ERG work, was able to be seen yeah. by others and right tapped on the shoulder for an opportunity, probably not handed to him, right? No. But at no. least recommended no. and no. encouraged to apply. And I think that some folks kind of sleep on ERGs wherever they are, whether they're in corporate or government or, or any of these sectors, because it, it feels maybe it's extra work or it feels like it's something else on top of my job. But really, this is a great space for people to go show what they can do, especially if in their current role, they're not able to contribute in all the ways that are meaningful for them or in all the ways that showcase their talents like they might want. And I always encourage people go get involved in the ERG because you may not know what skills you have. You may not know what you're great at if you've never been given the opportunity to do it. If you do it and you're great at it, people are going to see it. Yes.
2: And one of my jobs is really to work with the ERGs. So we currently have seven ERGs. I believe when State's Attorney Fox took office, they started with about four or five. And we expanded to include our Ability Alliance Network for people, ASAs, who are employees who have disabilities, and MENA, the Middle East and North African group. We have, I think, a wonderful array of ERGs for people to come into a space. Um, and like you said, really showcase other skill sets, um, really showcase other things that they can do because, you know, the day-to-day work of being what we call a line ASA is a lot of work. They're doing a lot of hard work, important work in the courtroom. And that day-to-day is not necessarily a place where they can display other capabilities. And so this is a great place for them to come together as a group. And think about how they can display some of those other aspects of their skills and other aspects of their personalities. And you say, hey, that's the kind of thing that we're looking for when we're looking for to develop supervisors, uh, our new up-and-coming supervisors. So NRGs can be a great resource for organizations to really better utilize its talent, make sure it's recognizing its talent, and make sure it's elevating talented people and supporting talented people. Because we want talented people to stay as long as possible, and we want them, especially if they are people who come in with the desire to be public servants, because there are some people who come in, people come into a space for different reasons. Some come in just to get litigation skills and move on to the private sector. That's their goal. That was always their goal. Some people really do want to be public servants. They value government. They value the job and the role and the important role of serving the public and when working on behalf of the public good. And we want to show that we value that, and we see that, and we want to make sure that we are rewarding that, and we are recognizing the best of the best, and so we can continue to move those individuals up so they have an
1: impact on the people who are coming in after them. And they're more likely to spot those seeds or nuggets of talent in yeah. their own communities earlier than someone from the outside might be able to see it. Yes. I
2: talked to another one of our ERGs, our African, it's called ABLES, our African American and Black Leadership ERG. But we had a conversation about, just like you said, people in the community approaching our ASAs because they're like, I'm interested in public service. I'm interested in criminal justice. I would like to intern. Are there internship opportunities? So not only are they instrumental in bringing in current attorneys, but the other aspect of the, of talking to those future, those future attorneys and getting those individuals engaged and in understanding and demystifying prosecutor's offices. And people from various communities, they approach people and say, hey, I want to learn more. And so those ERGs become a great way for us to also say, oh, okay, what is the interest like in the community? What does the community want to do? How does the community want to get more engaged with the
1: prosecutor's office. So yeah, a great way to tap future talent. Definitely. So as you think about the work that you've done so far and all of the predecessors before you, what's next in this work for the prosecutor's office?
2: So my focus, I'm thinking about belonging. I've been, as I'm learning, because DEI is like a, a new space for me and it's an interesting and exciting space, the more I learn about it, the more robust it seems to me. And so I'm really interested in belonging. Like, How do we go that next step towards making people feel the impact of the the structures we've been putting into place to speak? We've been doing a lot of the structural work. We've been creating DEI offices, DEI spaces, ER, ERGs, policy changes. We've been doing a lot of structural work to try to build out that culture of inclusion. How do we then make sure that we are truly creating that that sense in our employees? How do we know that it's working, basically? My next step is really to say, how are we making sure that we're actually connected with employees and employees are feeling it, that they're feeling it enough that we're like, yes, this is a place that I want to be. This is a place where I want other people to be, is having an impact on myself personally as a career, from my career perspective, and it's helping me to have a better impact on the community. And so that's the next step. How are we making sure that it's, that the structure that we're creating are actually resonating within the employees and also looking at that in terms of how is that helping to, how can we tie that into improving and increasing our recruitment and our recruitment mm-hmm. plans and also with our retention? How is that going to feed in and helping us be better at retaining talent?
1: Excellent. Oh, Danielle, thank you so much for your time today, for sharing your expertise and your experience um, with our Including You audience. I appreciate you so much, and I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing at Cook County.
2: You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
0: If you've enjoyed this episode, follow Lead at any level on LinkedIn and YouTube. Then join us for Including You video simulcast every Thursday at noon Eastern. Including You can also be enjoyed each week as part of the Living Corporate Audio podcast series available on all major podcast platforms. Learn more at living-corporate.com. Including You is brought to you in part by Lead at Any Level, a boutique training and consulting firm improving employee engagement and retention for companies that promote from within. Lead at Any Level. Leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. Learn more at leadatanylevel.com. Lead at Any Level and its logo are registered trademarks of Lead at Any Level, LLC. The views and opinions of guests on our show do not necessarily reflect the positions of Lead at Any Level, Living Corporate, or the sponsors of Including You.
1: That's it for this week's edition of Including You. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to leave us a review. Please join me next week when my guest will be Dr. Adrian Lawson from Pride Industries.